the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Thank you, and a pleasant good afternoon. Welcome on board. It is a Tuesday for this 10th day of April. Just about a week from today, isn't it, the taxes are due? Normally it's the 15th, but the 15th falls on the Sunday, and I think there's a holiday in there on Monday or something. <laughs> Get a little bit of a reprieve, but not much. Any event, we've got a jam-packed program for you this evening. And a little bit later on, we're going to talk about the ongoing fallout in the David and Louise Turpin case. You'll remember them, the Southern California couple who had... 13 children, ages 2 to 29, essentially held prisoner in their home. So abused were these children that allegedly some of them have stunted growth because of malnutrition. It's a sad and horrific case, and one of the issues, the sidebar issues, to come out of this case is the fact that the Turpin children were largely homeschooled. That has opened a window of opportunity for folks that don't like homeschooling to say, well, this just goes to prove we need greater controls, we need health and safety inspections, we need licensing or perhaps certification of homeschooling parents, on and on the list goes. They seem to have been confusing what is clearly a case of child abuse, based on the facts, with homeschoolers, most of which do a above-excellent to exemplary job, so much so that, on average, Children that are homeschooled perform better on SAT tests and have a higher degree of attending two- and four-year colleges and universities than those that go to public schools. And yet, and yet, those who don't like homeschooling for whatever the reason are trying to take the Turpin case and use it as an opportunity to clamp down on homeschooling in California. We're going to talk about the bill before the legislature and what you should do coming up later on tonight when attorney Brad Dacus from the Pacific Justice Institute joins us. That's coming up a little bit later on. First off, though, it is rare if you've been a follower of the goings-on in Sacramento or Washington, D.C. for any length of time. It is rare that legislation is essentially DOA, and I don't mean dead on arrival as it comes up for a vote, but actually dead on arrival once it's been voted upon and signed into law But before it even barely becomes official law, that it is so broken that it's DOA. That, however, is the rare case of the ACA or the Affordable Care Act, which over the course of some 2,700 pages and more than 20,000 pages total in accompanying regulations, attempts to deal with the health care crisis in America by unwittingly, some argue wittingly, making it even worse. Joining me now is Dr. Marilyn Singleton, board-certified anesthesiologist. She is a board of director member and president-elect of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. 
graduated with honors from Stanford University. She has her MD uh, also from UCSF Medical School and joins us now to talk about why it is that Congress continues to face the reality of the failed ACA. And Dr. Singleton, thanks so much for spending some time with us today. Uh, We know certainly there have been repeated attempts to try and repeal aspects of it. Some of that, at least insofar as the mandate provision, has finally been accomplished under presidential edict. And yet at the end of the day, this legislation was dead on arrival. Congress knew at the time infamously the comment made by Nancy Pelosi, well, let's just vote for it, we'll pass it, then figure out what's in it. Now we've figured out what's in it, nobody's happy, and yet Congress seemingly wants to do nothing to fix this. Why? Congress is always afraid of losing votes, and this is what I find so sad, that they're not looking at what the people are asking for, but We all know that everybody says you can never touch Social Security, you can never touch Medicare, and now they've allowed the ACA to hang around for eight years now. So it's becoming one of those, well, you can't really touch it. So all they've been doing is tinkering around the edges, but the problem is the whole principle behind the whole law just isn't really solid. It's got a poor foundation. And they know it, and they know that the law was about controlling health care, not really making sure. Well, and oddly enough, even to that degree, it it fails miserably, because at the end of the day, I mean, if if you did the average survey of anybody who has ever paid a doctor's bill, paid a hospital bill, look at what their payments are when it comes to their premiums for insurance, uh, or certainly looked at uh, drug costs, there have repeatedly been the notion that we need to do a better job at eliminating fraud, reducing waste, and controlling costs. And yet, this is a measure that seemingly does a good job at trying to control health care and largely tying the hands of physicians behind their back. Now, the insurance companies are calling all the medical shots. And yet, ultimately, instead of controlling costs, just simply seems to shift costs. That's exactly right. They've just moved them from one entity to another. And this is something that people have failed to see. But finally, finally, I think patients have figured this out, that their costs are actually higher. So nothing was really done to look at the core problem. How can we make the absolute price of things go down? And nobody seems to care. They don't seem to have the spine. Now, there's a few fellows who have put forth some laws that would help with price transparency, would help seniors pay for their own care if they wanted to. But these laws just seem to be put out there, and then they sit on the shelf. And you don't know whether these folks put them out there so they can have a list and say, well, I put forth a such-and-such bill, and no intention of ever having it go any farther. 
Well, and the irony I would think too here, Dr. Singleton, is the fact that, you know, aside from arguably tax law being the longest and most confusing bit of legislation in America, certainly this measure goes a long way toward uh, competing with confusing tax laws by now creating this labyrinth of health care laws and rules and regulations. As I mentioned, I think the additional bill had 23 ballooned to 2,700 pages before passed by Congress, and then once they were done, adding all the rules and clarification and regulations behind that, it, it blossomed, or maybe that's not the right word, it ballooned to 20,000 total pages, including regulations. How can we expect, in all fairness, doctors, hospitals, healthcare providers, drug companies, insurance companies, patients for that matter, to understand anything of what is in this measure, let alone in a practical sense expect that this is going to do anything more than just make health care even more complicated in this country. And sadly enough, the number one goal to make sure that everybody who deserved insurance and was eligible for insurance received insurance, and sadly we're finding out that is not even the case. Well, that's right. One of the big pitches was that now we wouldn't have as many uninsured people. Well, for the number of people that became insured, half again already are still uninsured. And even those who got health insurance, they have coverage, but what they really don't have is access to a physician. And this is something that's, that's the dirty little secret, and patients certainly know that. What happened was so many of the regular practices were bought up by the big groups, the big groups have very limited networks of physicians, and when people try to get an appointment, can't get an appointment, the list that can be used is getting smaller and smaller, and many times half the people on the list, when the patients call the folks, they say, no, we aren't in that network. So the patients are even having a lot of trouble just trying to contact somebody to even try to get an appointment. Well, what stunned me, not, not long after this was passed into law, or I should say became law, what stunned me, Dr. Singleton, is the fact that I would go into a dermatologist's office or eye doctor's office or medical office, uh, you know, all different in, in different buildings, and it wouldn't be unusual to see signs on the doors saying, not accepting Obamacare. And finally, I asked a physician uh, that, uh, that happened to be coming out of his office and had one of these signs on the front door what it meant. And he said, well, we've done the math, and at the end of the day, by the time we looked at all of our costs, all of the regulatory fees, everything related to, of course, things like uh, malpractice insurance, et cetera, et cetera, our rent, on and on the list goes. And so quite frankly, with the uh, compensation levels that have been stipulated or mandated at some levels within the ACA, he said, I cannot afford to provide health care. So we have no choice but to turn away patients. Now, that's a shame. It is a shame. And uh, some of the uh, record-keeping and whatnot that the physicians have to do are really driving a lot of the solo practitioners out of business. And it's the solo practitioners that really are the lifeblood of primary care and the lifeblood of trying to manage chronic illness, trying to keep people out of hospitals. And this is where the real shame lies, that in looking at this so-called coverage, the so-called, oh, we're going to help everybody out, they've ended up 
helping very few people. If you've just joined our conversation, a visit today with board-certified anesthesiologist, member of the Board of Directors and President-elect of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, Dr. Marilyn Singleton. We're talking about the issues that are inherent to problems with the ACA, the Affordable Care Act, that were there in the beginning that we either chose to ignore or hope somehow they would go away or kick the can down the road to another time, another Congress, another administration. Well, now here they are beginning to rear their ugly head. And on the receiving end are millions of Americans who still look at this law and say, still can't afford health care. I still have to make choices between uh, what services we seek and which ones we don't, sometimes even contrary to medical advice, because quite frankly, I can't afford it. Well, if the whole purpose of the bill was accessibility and affordability, and we failed at both, then at what point did we grow up and say, it's time to admit that this thing was DOA and we need to fix it? Let's come back to more of our conversation with Dr. Marilyn Singleton as we talk about the failure of the ACA and what to do about it as this edition of Lifeline continues. But foist, as they say in Hollywood, but first a look at traffic. 517 as we hang over or hang out over at the KFAX Traffic Center. Maybe traffic is bad. Maybe you feel like you have a traffic hangover. I don't know. Michael Bennett, let's see um, what his prescription is. Just going to be filled with these double entendre puns, huh? What his <laughs> prescription is for traffic on this Tuesday in the KFAX Traffic Center. Hey, Michael. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. One of the other major areas of concern related to the inability of the Affordable Care Act to make it affordable, and that is addressing the issue of drug costs. Now, certainly this measure seems to be abundant with the shifting of costs as opposed to controlling costs. But many Americans have often wondered, why is it that prescription drugs seem to be markedly cheaper in places like Canada versus the United States? Now, I know often the excuse is, well, we have all of this research and development money. Yeah, and all of these costs. Yeah, but they never tell you that on average, the farm industry receives about $50 billion from the federal government in research and development money annually. So you would think if taxpayers have already paid in, shouldn't we see more benefits of that, given the fact that there are more drug lobbyists in Washington, D.C. than members of Congress? Perhaps that's part of the reason. Dr. Marilyn Singleton is with us tonight, board-certified anesthesiologist, member of the Board of Directors, and president-elect of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. What about this issue? I know there's always talk about, well, go to Canada, get the drugs cheaper, but why would they even be cheaper in Canada than they are in the United States? One of the issues is even the system by which patients get drugs. And you'd be amazed to know that most of the insurers, as well as the federal government, use a system called pharmacy benefits managers, which I'm sure people might have seen on some of their paperwork coming from the insurer. And these middlemen take a piece of the action even though they allegedly negotiate lower prices because they get the drugs in bulk for a particular insurer, they are paid by a percentage of the discount they get. So they really don't have much incentive to get a big discount. And in fact, over the years, it seems like they've just tossed the idea of getting a discount aside 
and are getting higher and higher percentages. And it's to the point now where with the high co-pays that patients have, their co-pay is calculated off of the full price, even though the insurer got the drug for the lower price. So sometimes the patients are paying more with their copay than what the drug cost in the first place. Some basic drugs like hydrochlorothiazide that many people take for high blood pressure cost three dollars for a bottle of a hundred. If a person's copay is ten or fifteen, clearly they're they're overpaying for the drug. And some of these contracts, this this just shocks me, have gag clauses in them where the pharmacist is not allowed to tell the patient that, you know, if you paid for this with cash out of your pocket, you would pay 10 times less than what you're paying now. And so it seems as if along the way, then, as you're suggesting, Dr. Singleton, there's there's an awful lot of middlemen that are kind of, you know, scraping their percentage uh, from the bottom, the top, or through the middle, whatever the case might be. And at the end of the day, the ones that are really having to pay the price then are the folks that are having to pay the premiums. That's exactly right. And what this signals to many of us are we need to get back to the days of direct payment for things, where, one, you know what it really costs, you can work out some sort of system for paying it, have true catastrophic health insurance, the kind of insurance that you use when you go in the hospital and you get in an accident, whatever, and something that your auto insurance wouldn't pay for if it's an automobile accident, and have insurance for that. But for the most part, if insurance, true catastrophic insurance should cost less than $2,000 a year. Now, some of the premiums every month is that much. So imagine if you weren't paying those sorts of premiums and only paid a premium for catastrophic insurance and paid for the rest of the stuff out of pocket. It's the price of coffee, uh, so many, the price of getting your nails done, whatever. And if you actually saw the advantages, of just going back to work. Let me see what this really costs. People would be amazed, and they'd be amazed at how much money they could save. The other issue here, too, isn't there, that more and more insurance companies are interjecting themselves almost acting as a surrogate physician insofar as making decisions as to what procedures are necessary and and not necessary. And I realize sometimes, yes, there are physicians that uh, will do exams that are not always required or may even make recommendations for certain medical procedures or surgeries that, yeah, you can probably get along with okay. Uh, But, you know, at the end of the day, they're in business like anybody else. Would it be beneficial, though, if at the end of the day there was more control returned back to the physicians as to what procedures are necessary and and the patients had more say-so as opposed to singularly the insurance company having an the, the all power of the up or down vote? Absolutely. And so many times people are saying, well, they're trying to cut back on so-called unnecessary procedures. Sad to say is if you let the physician use their best judgment and order these things, a patient might be diagnosed sooner, get treated sooner, and in the end, 
costs less money to the insurer. And recently, there was a case where the medical director at Aetna even admitted he didn't even look at the denials and review them. So it really, the insurer cannot be the first line of your medical care. Your physician should be. You know, it's interesting because I think about the automobile industry, the the car industry. Now, I know that this may vary from state to state, but in a state like California, if you get into an automobile accident, the insurance company cannot compel you as to where you take the vehicle to be repaired. You are not compelled to get any more than one estimate. If the insurance company wants to do more, they are responsible for obtaining additional estimates. And at the end of the day, it's up to the owner of the car to decide where he's going to get his automobile fixed. And, yeah, I guess we might argue that we pay a little bit more for insurance for cars than we'd like to. But at the end of the day, you also don't see double-digit inflation impacting the, the, uh, the car repair business. So I almost wonder if the notion of empowering consumers more to actually see what the costs are and have a little bit more say-so might, in the end of the day, actually end up serving everybody. Well, we all know competition works, and it even works in healthcare, and particularly for supplies, drugs, and even the services. And it's not like if a physician has a if you, a service product that they can offer because of the way they operate their office at a lower price. It doesn't mean it's lower quality. And certainly a patient, within a patient's right to walk in there and say, gee, I don't like this guy or gal. Uh, I'll seek out someone else. But what's happened now is as patients, their hands are tied. They can't say, I don't like this guy. Because guess what? That might be the only person in the network that the insurer has allowed you to see. And that's just plain wrong. We need our choice back. And what do we do from your opinion, Dr. Singleton, in order to regain some of that choice? Clearly, we can't look for an awful lot of relief from Congress acting on its own. So what if folks who look at this recognize the problem, recognize that it needs some serious action? What are we supposed to do? If a patient is able to seek out a direct, they're called direct pay practices, and seek one out on our website, aapsonline.org, we have a section for patients where they can look up a direct pay practice. And there's plenty in California. In fact, California, Southern California, was ground zero for developing these sorts of practices where even patients on Medicare can still bill Medicare, but they pay a basic fee and they can get whatever they want from the doctor, uh, very, very low-cost tests. And again, sometimes these tests are far less than what their deductible or copay would be. And uh, there are ways patients can get around this, but patients need to know about it. And, and I've heard those stories where there's a procedure and the, the copay for the given procedure mandated by the insurance company is $600, and we go, wow, that's expensive. Then to find out the actual procedure itself is only 350 or 400 <laughs> That's exactly right. If, if you look at prices of x-rays, and again, California has been at the forefront on this, and there's a website on price transparency, you can see that the cost of 
uh, CAT scans, for example, can be as low as a couple hundred dollars and all the way up to $5,000 for the same procedure. Wow. Well, so, certainly valuable information. And again, folks can get more detail about some of the direct pay. You can get information about, quite frankly, what some of these costs should be and be a better informed consumer. You would take the time to do it to get your car repaired. Why not the most valuable thing you have, your health? Information available online, aapsonline.org. Think of the American Association of Physicians and Surgeons, aapsonline.org. That's aapsonline.org. Org. And I'd like to thank President-elect of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, Dr. Marilyn Singleton, for being with us today. Dr. Singleton, thank you for the time and the education. Invaluable stuff. All right. We'll no doubt be talking with Dr. Singleton again in the future as this continues to be a driving story that is of concern for all of us. Right now, driving stories or the story of how you're driving home or not that quickly <laughs> from the KFAX Traffic Center with Michael Bennett. Michael? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. I'm watching uh, just here during the break some of the Zuckerberg testimony on uh, Capitol Hill. And uh, he is either um, horrifically delusional (laughs) or uh, quite the showman. And I'm inclined to think it's more of the latter as opposed to the former. This notion that we had no idea this was going on and that you, you prevail in the collection and dissemination of personal, private information, albeit from a lot of foolish people that just surrender it all. But it's amazing to suggest that they had no idea this was going on. We couldn't have seen this coming. Oh, my goodness. No, not kidding you at all. (laughs) All right. Let's turn a corner, shall we, to another topic that has been making headlines. It has been called by some journalists the Little House of Horrors. Thirteen children, ranging from the ages of 2 to 29, whose parents, David and Louise Turpin, allegedly started with neglect, but then escalated over time to severe, pervasive, and prolonged child abuse. The school-aged children had been homeschooled, resulting now in a call for greater oversight by the state of California over homeschool families in the hopes of preventing another tragedy like the Turpin case from ever happening again. Some might suggest, however, that we're mixing metaphors here, that child abuse is one matter and homeschooling is another one. The reality is the average child who is homeschooled performs better than their public school counterparts on SAT scores and has a higher percentile of students once completing high school, 12th grade, to move on to two- and four-year colleges above those counterparts in public education. So what's behind all this? Let's get some insights now from the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, constitutional lawyer, Brad Dacus. Counselor, it's always great to have you on the program. Uh, Your thoughts? To me, it seems as if it's almost like they're looking for an excuse, and in the Turpin case now, they've found one. Exactly. Uh, You know, if their concern is dealing with health and safety, and oh dear, homeschool kids are at you know, they're much uh, more at risk, and, oh, we need to focus on them and, and, and invade their homes. Uh, you know, if that was really, truly their concern, uh, then they would focus on the, the terrible stats for children in public schools. Overall, it's much riskier for a child uh, enrolled in a public school in terms of health and safety uh, issues 
but also a child is much more likely um, to to, de, uh, to deal with uh, abuse and neglect issues if they're enrolled in a public school than if they're in a home school. Um, and that's just generally because uh, homeschoolers are very conscientious parents. You have to be conscientious to be a successful homeschooler. And uh, so this is just a, 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 a grab attempt uh, by um, the, the, the left in, in Sacramento to try to intimidate and threaten uh, these kids to go back into public school where they have more control over. And it strikes me as this uh, particular measure that's being considered, uh, Assembly Bill 2926, that includes increased health and safety standards, state-mandated curriculum standards, uh, which ironically here in California we just got rid of. <laughs> so we, we, we don't want standards in public schools, but we're going we're gonna to have them uh, test to the standard in home schools, which just shows you the irony of the, the disconnect here. And, and and while I suppose they could try to argue that, well, children who attend public schools are out of the house, they're more engaged with society, and therefore the likelihood of discovering that abuse is taking place in a home might be increased because of just their, their greater exposure to other neighbors. But at the end of the day, from a legal standpoint, is there anything here, any evidence to suggest that somehow uh, a child could, um, as in this case, be abused in a in a uh, homeschool scenario, but could never be uh, subject to potential abuse if they're going to public schools? Is there any evidence of that? No, there's absolutely none. In fact, the evidence is, is quite the opposite, that children who are homeschooled are less likely to be abused, less likely for bullying, and less likely to uh, have mal- uh, malnutrition. Uh, homeschoolers, homeschooled kids are, are basically the safest kids uh, situation you can have. So as far as health and safety, that's just uh, a pretext. Uh, as far as curriculum, uh, you know, in California, we already have uh, what's called private school affidavits. Pa- parents who homeschool have to file a private school affidavit. Part of the state law requires that there be basic courses that are covered by those parents. That's already a part of the law in California. But one of the reasons parents homeschool is they don't want all the curriculum being pushed in the agendas and the propaganda and, and all the controversial material that's inherent to as a part of the average public school uh, curriculum in the textbooks. So it would be very self-defeating for people to homeschool if that was a part of the mandate. And, of course, being a credentialed teacher, uh, that is something else they're considering. We at Pacific Justice Institute got that shot down uh, in the appellate court uh, under present law as not a valid requirement. Well, if they do make it a valid requirement and legislate it into, into existence, um, most homeschoolers will be disqualified and they will, without question, they will leave the state of California, putting their homes up for sale. We're looking at about 200,000 homeschooling families in the state of California. Um, that would be economic uh, foolishness as well as a civil, uh, egregious civil rights violations with regard to the rights of parents. Well, also, if we apply that if it's good for me, it's good for you standard, uh, if we're talking about making sure that we have credentialed teachers that are instructing students, how many public school students today anywhere in the state of California, are attending math classes that's being taught by a history teacher, going to an English class that's being taught by uh, a, uh, you know, athletic teacher, that the reality is that the consistency of the application of the kind of credential is often overlooked. It's just, hey, we got so many students, we have time to fill, I got classrooms that have to be attended to, so we grab somebody here who's got an open period and shove them in there. That has gone on within public education for years. Isn't the real axe to grind here, 
Part of it, number one, financial, meaning that for every student that doesn't come into public schools, that the local districts lose part of their government money and that there has long been angst in public education against charter schools, private schools, parochial schools, homeschoolers, because the performance numbers have consistently been so much better than public education. At the end of the day, this is almost like an attempt to try and outlaw part of the competition. Oh, without question. Uh, the teachers' union has never been a, a fan of homeschooling or, or for that matter, uh, charter schools. Uh, that was uh, even their the allowance for that to go in was just to be a pressure release valve for the, the movement for homeschooling and and uh, in California. So, uh, yeah, it's 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 a it's about power. It's about money. It has nothing to do with safety. The stats show different, you know, differently than, than what their presumption is. It has nothing to do with whether the kids are getting a, a good, uh, solid curriculum education. Uh, the SAT scores and uh, success in universities and even corporations prove differently on that in support of homeschooling. And uh, as far as the need for credentialing t- uh, parents to be credentialed, uh, you know, the teachers are credentialed in public schools. And mind you, they have a lot of challenges. Uh, but still, their performance statistically is, is less than that of parents who overwhelmingly are not credentialed. So that really is not a valid criteria, to, at least not to the extent that you could, could violate the the rights of parents over the education of bringing their children. Well, and if the whole purpose of homeschooling is to provide the child with a safer environment, a more consistent environment, not only morally but scholastically, and the parent wants that child to excel, and at the end of the day, the SAT scores and matriculation from um, high school into two- and four-year colleges and universities proves out that there is a difference, a markable, marked difference between public public versus homeschool, then it would seem to me that there, there's no issue here. And we're, we're trying to use a child abuse case to argue something that is largely a non sequitur. Right. And I think it's, you made a really strong point here that it, it was a child abuse case. Hence, it's the job of Child Protective Services <laughs> to, to get involved in these matters. And it's, a, it's the job of people in their community to report these matters. Uh, that is what the issue is. It's, it's not education. It's not whether they're doing a good job as, as homeschoolers. They're doing a great job as homeschoolers. This was a situation involving child abuse, um, and had it been reported, had had been investigated properly, reported properly uh, by the community, uh, it would have been halted and brought and, and addressed uh, properly. So, uh, it's it's a bogus, it's a red herring uh, justification. And homeschoolers and others, I'm sure, will be very outspoken, as they should be, to express their uh, disapproval and opposition to this uh, pending legislation. Assembly Bill 2926 is scheduled to go before the Assembly Education Committee on April the 25th. We would urge you to contact members of that committee. You can look them up online. Uh, Most notably, I'll give you the number. I won't mention them all here, but I'm going to give you most notably the number of Kevin McCarthy, who is a friend, at area code 916-319-2007. That's 916-319-2007. If you simply go online and Google Assembly Education Committee. You'll find the list there. We want you to email them, call them, and urge each of them to vote no on Assembly Bill 2926. That's AB 2926. Again, um, the next hearing is scheduled for April the 25th. And, Counselor, you'll keep us uh, updated as this thing progresses along, will you not? Oh, we definitely will. And and we're watching it, and we're testifying against it. And um, it's a very 
a serious threat to homeschoolers. That's without without a doubt. And we all, as as parents, as folks that are concerned with the quality education of our state, uh, as wanting to protect parental rights, even if you do or do not have a student that is being homeschooled, need to have your voice heard because, you know, this is the old slippery slope that there's so much here more that could ultimately be at stake. And, you know, it, it, once again, the old adage that they're picking off bits of the iceberg, you know, one chunk at a time. If they can bring in law, draconian laws to control, quote unquote, homeschooling, then where do they go next? Do they go back and start to attack parochial schools, private schools, charter schools? The list goes on and on. It's frightening stuff. All right, our thanks to Brad Dacus, constitutional lawyer, the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, for that update. Um, We're going to be talking more about education here on the program as well. You're probably aware of our um, back-to-school half-off tuition initiative that uh, you can get details about the possibility of sending your student to private school at half the cost. And there's no tricks, there's no gimmicks, nothing up my sleeve, as the old saying goes. Just log on to kfax.com, click on the Back to School banner, and get more information, kfax.com. All right, let's uh, click on Bill Bennett. I'm sorry, Bill Bennett? No, Michael Bennett. We had the right Bennett, just the wrong first name. Uh, Let's click on Michael Bennett and see what's going on there and get an education on the ride home this Tuesday. Michael? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Over the last many months, there has been a growing body of concern over the school shootings. Places like Columbine, Sandy Hook, Parkland, Marshall County. The list seemingly continues to grow, and with it, concerns by parents. Not just over whether or not the physical environment is a safe one for children to learn, but certainly Christian parents have known for a long time that while that's important, so too is the quality of and safety of the academic, moral, and spiritual environment in which our children are educated. Joining me today in studio is Brian Rectin, and Brian is here to share some good news about an opportunity for parents all across the San Francisco Bay Area who've long dreamed about getting their child into a private school where they can make sure that not only is there a safe learning environment from a physical aspect, but also a safe learning environment from the academic moral, and spiritual aspect. And Brian, at the end of the day, this half-off tuition program that KFAX has been running for a number of years now really helps parents accomplish just that. Yeah, it's very exciting, Craig. And actually, we're doing this for the seventh year. And uh, over 89 families have actually benefited from this, and they've enrolled their children, and they've taken advantage of these half-price vouchers. And the first thing that I usually hear from parents is, you know, when I tell them half-price, they say, what's the catch? Well, there really isn't a catch. This has uh, been working wonderfully. God is using it in, in mighty ways. Uh, for families that just think Christian school is out of their reach— We've partnered with now, uh, so far, uh, 16 schools this year, although schools continue to uh, come on board. But when we launch this, we'll have uh, at least 16 schools spread throughout the Bay Area that will be offering vouchers at half price. Now, the only catch really is that it's new families, families that are not currently enrolled, and they do limit it to one per family because they're trying to uh, bless as many families as possible. And, and basically, the re-enrollment rate is nearly 90%. So what 
history has shown us over these uh, six years that we've completed this process is that once a family does enroll their child or children in a Christian school, the vast majority of them re-enroll. The proof is in the pudding. They get a chance to experience the difference in their child's attitude, in their sense of well-being. Certainly, uh, almost across the board, a marked improvement Mm -hmm. in their academic testing and scores. And, you know, that's attributable things like a low student-teacher ratio in private schools, Bible-based education, the level of attention that the students receive. So I guess for the parents, they come in with this with sort of a, seems too good to be true, but let's put our toe in the water and, and, and test it. And lo and behold, it. they find that it is true. And you know what else they don't have to do? They don't have to debrief their kids every day when they come home from the <laughs> yeah. government schools. Yeah, this is you true. know, what did you hear today? What did you learn today? And all the craziness, you know, with, with uh, you know, gender-neutral bathrooms and all the crazy stuff going on in the public school, they're finding that it's a breath of fresh air. They're actually looking forward to their children coming home from school to talk about what they learned that day. And it finally puts the parent, the child, the administration, the teacher, all on the same page, all pulling together for the well-being and best interest of the child. Now, this isn't to say that there aren't good public schools, because they are. But with so many agendas afoot at the state level, at the federal level, and as you mentioned, between the curriculum and some of the other policies, parents have a lot to be concerned about as to whether or not what they're trying to instill in terms of biblical and moral values and academic standards in their child is being supported or countermanded Mm -hmm. in their scholastic experience. And the good news with a private Christian education is everybody's on the same page. Everybody. And you know, what I would encourage listeners, if you're hearing this and you're not, you've, you've never heard this before, you're new in the area, you just started listening to KFAX, I'd encourage you to go to our website, kfax.com, click on any of the banners that are on the homepage that say back to school, and you'll see the list of schools. We put up a convenient map there where you're going to be able to see where all the pins are located, and you'll see everything there is to know about those schools, the website, some information on the school, what grades they're offering vouchers for, and if the two align with with your family, then I would encourage you to call Uh, Call me. My number and my name will be there on that page. You can ask me any questions you want. You can go visit the school. You can take a tour. The thing you want to do, though, is you want to let them know immediately that you're you're trying to claim a KFAX voucher. Now, of course, these schools are very familiar with the voucher program. I want to talk for just a second, too, about the army of listeners that have heard about this, the 89 families that have already enrolled a child. And I'm going to ask if uh, I could solicit you all as ambassadors for this program. You've tasted and seen what this program has meant to your family. So I just encourage you to mention it to friends, mention it to coworkers, mention it to folks at church. Let them know about the program. A lot of people, uh, there are one or two people in the Bay Area that don't listen to KFAX. We know most of them do. But uh, this has been such a blessing. I could talk for hours and tell God stories of how this has changed lives. I, I, I don't have it in studio with me, but I just got an email from a mom from back in 2014 whose son is now graduating, going on to a very, very prestigious college. And she sent us an email just saying, it all started with the half-price voucher. I never dreamed I would be able to enroll my son in Christian school. Well, Four years later, he's graduating, and his life's been transformed. And it is an indisputable fact that because of the difference in the student-to-teacher ratio in private schools, 
the biblical-based standards, mm-hmm. um, the, the attention to scholastic excellence at every level, that SAT test scores are higher, children that matriculate through K through 12 and then go on to two- and four-year colleges and universities is significantly higher. So at the end of the day, it's it's well worth the experience. And I would have mentioned, too, Brian, those ambassadors uh, to share the word also include grandparents out there. Oh, for sure. You want to think about blessing your grandson or granddaughter by taking advantage of a voucher and providing them with that entree into private education can make a huge difference in their life. Now, let's talk about um, a few of the housekeeping details. Again, more information available at kfax.com. Just look for the half-off tuition banner anywhere. Click on that. That'll take you to the map. You can find out what schools are available in your area. That list, as Brian mentioned, is growing daily. Again, at kfax.com. You can also get information in terms of the details of the program. So first-time families, one child per family, Uh, You do have to meet the school's individual scholastic entrance requirements. The school will still meet with the family. um, But here's the good news is uh, even at half price, your funds are never at risk because if for any reason, and it's stated very clearly on our website, if for any reason you or the school doesn't go forward with the enrollment, you get a full and immediate refund. So your, your funds are never at risk. The important thing to know, though, is it it is a first come, first serve. Uh, opportunity here. So you you want to get onto the website. You want to see if a school is in your area. Even if you want to just explore the possibilities, I would encourage you to call me. And, um, and if there's a school that you're considering on that list, I would actually claim the voucher and then go through the process because, again, your funds are never at risk. And then um, if for any reason you or the school don't go forward, you'll get that refund. But but when the when the vouchers are gone, they're gone. Yeah, so don't think, gee, the fall semester is so far away, I've got plenty of time. No, you don't. And some of the more popular schools and the more densely populated regions uh, certainly go fast. And so uh, early bird catches the worm, as well, the Well, a number of goes. schools will be sold out of vouchers in April without question. Now, what if I go to the website, kfax.com, I click on the half-off tuition banner, I look at the list, I look at the map and go, wow, the school that I was hoping for is not there. I would encourage you to immediately call me. You'll see my name and number on that page. And let me contact the school and find out. It could be a school that for some one reason or another, we didn't reach out to them or they had a change in superintendent or principal, someone wasn't familiar with the program, we can explain it to them. You can even call them and say, you know, uh, are you familiar with the KFAX voucher program because I don't see your school listed on the website. Every year we do get schools that come to us because a parent requested that they consider the half price voucher. So if you don't see the school in your neighborhood that you're familiar with, yeah, don't don't think that there's no opportunity because there is. And again, complete details available at kfax.com. That's kfax.com. You can also call toll-free to pose questions, how many vouchers are still available, details of this sort, anything that might be unique to your circumstance. Uh, simply call toll-free 800-947-KFAX. That's 800 800- Nine four seven five three two nine. We'll be happy to answer any of your questions. Again, as Brian points out, this is on a first come, first serve basis. So the early bird catches the worm. We invite you to go online today to kfax.com. Check out the half off tuition page. And then again, if you have any questions or to redeem your voucher, call toll free 800 947 5329. That's 800 947 KFAX. Brian, anything to add? 
just I've seen how God has used this program over these uh, six prior years, the 89 families that have claimed vouchers. I don't think the whole story has been written. I think that we're going to see these students just go on. I think of the mighty men and women of God it talked about in the Old Testament, and I think a lot of these children that are coming in on these vouchers are going to go on to do great things for the kingdom. And at the end of the day, when it comes to rearing our child and giving them the tools they need for their not only scholastic future, but quite frankly, for their adulthood, we really only get one chance to do it right. So don't hesitate. Get more information. Go online today, kfax.com, or call toll-free 800-947-5329. That's 800-947-KFAX. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 